0: 1 Peter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Father, we come once again. Before your Word, we ask for the aid of your Spirit to understand your Word, to receive it into our minds and hearts. May your Word accomplish its good, sanctifying work in us. So we commit this time to your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been studying this book of 1 Peter for a number of weeks. Up to this point, we have been seeing that Peter has been laying out for us the greatness, the mercy, and the glory of the salvation that God has given to his people. One thing that stands out so clearly in what we've been studying is that salvation comes to a lost and sinful people Only for one reason, by the plan and the intervention of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Its conception was in the plan of God. Its origin was before the creation of the universe. Its execution was established in the sending of the Son of God to earth to shed His blood and rise from the dead on the third day. And its ultimate goal is the glory of God, that God might be glorified in the salvation of sinners. Mm -hmm. In addition, this great merciful work of God is something that not only began in the sovereign grace of God, but it continues in the same way. We're not saved by the grace of God and then left to flounder around on our own like So many fish poured out from a net on the floor of the fishing boat as they're flopping around helplessly. No, that's not our Christian lives. It's quite the opposite. One of the greatest verses uh, in this letter of 1 Peter, I think, is verse 5, which says, Speaking to the people of God, who by God's power are guarded through faith, for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are being guarded by God's power. We don't have to try and depend on our own power, which is not much. We're being guarded. It's present reality. And it's going on. It will never stop. You can't be in any better position than that, to be guarded by the almighty God's power. Well, this salvation from sin and this deliverance from the righteous judgment of God is something that comes to us totally in the initiative and the work of God. Again, Peter says in verse 3 of chapter 1, He has caused us to be born again. Why were we born again? It was not our plan. But God caused us to be born again. If you're a Christian today, you didn't birth yourself into the kingdom of God. He caused you to be born again. God did it. Not you, not your intelligence, not your good works, not your good looks, but God's mercy and power. So Peter has been showing us how the great mercy of God had come to these Christian people and yanked them up out of the kingdom of darkness and set them down in the kingdom of light. Mm. The way a father would yank his toddler out of the street who had wandered out in front of an oncoming car. Mm. All this is the supernatural work of the living God. He tells these Christians That they received the good news of the gospel from preachers who were anointed by the Spirit of God. It wasn't just mere words of men that they were listening to. But they were words anointed by the Holy Spirit. He enlightened their minds and he gave them understanding of the gospel. Well, when we share the gospel, we have to be totally dependent upon the Spirit of God. To make these things known and clear to the people that... God may give us opportunity to talk to. This is the saving work of God. He transfers people from Satan's captivity to Christ's lordship. But that's only the beginning of his gracious work in the lives of his people. Peter tells these Christians in verse 13, Prepare your minds for action. You've been signed up. You've been recruited. You've been drafted into the Lord's army to do spiritual warfare on the earth in the name of Christ. He tells him also in verse 15 to be holy as the Lord is holy. Well, there's a great motivation for them and for us to live holy lives. It's because of the enormous price that was paid For us to be rescued. The price was Christ's precious blood. It was not gold and silver. And his blood that was shed on Calvary's cross was not ordinary human blood. But it was the innocent blood of the sinless Son of God. It was sinless blood. It had the power to remove sin. You see, Christ Jesus is the whole key to our salvation. Had he not come, we never would have been saved. We read in verse 21 that these believers, through Christ, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So it is what Christ did that made these people believers in God. Are you a believer in God today? If you are, it's through Christ that you came to God. Our faith is tied to a historical event, an event that was witnessed by many reliable witnesses and recorded in written records. The best and most uh, numerous documents from ancient history are from the New Testament. Well, Verse 21 says that God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God. It's Jesus' resurrection from the dead on the third day that is the foundation of our faith. He was glorified when he ascended to the Father. And there... He was crowned with honor and given kingship over the kingdom of God. And from there, he poured out his spirit upon his people. The invisible spirit working in our hearts and minds confirms to us and certifies to us that Jesus did die and rise from the dead. The Holy Spirit. Again, we cannot emphasize enough the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who awakens faith in us. He gives us spiritual life where there was none. He regenerates us from spiritual life, or rather from spiritual death to spiritual life. And from there, he continues to work in our lives, helping us to grow in our understanding of the Word of God to grow to be more spiritual, spiritually mature Christians. You see, this growth in spiritual maturity it's not something that happens overnight. It's a lifelong process. It's often not an easy process. The trees of our lives have to be periodically or regularly pruned. Pruning hurts. Sins and habits that we used to practice have to be pruned off with clippers invisible clippers of God and sometimes we experience the discipline of the Lord as a loving father would discipline his children to help them because he loves them to put away their bad behavior and develop instead good behavior so what we have read today these uh, verses are all tied and linked to what went before so so In light of what Peter has been saying about this great and gracious salvation, he begins in verse 22 and says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Notice, Peter does not say, You need to purify your souls. He says, Having purified your souls. It's already happened. He doesn't say, You need to obey the truth. He says, Having purified your souls, how did you do it? By your obedience to the truth. It's already happened in their lives. How do we know they obeyed the truth? Well, they obeyed the gospel. They heard the gospel. They received it. They repented. They believed. They were obedient to the call of God. They heard the truth from the lips of the preachers. They submitted to it. It was the work of God, so they were obedient to the truth. And this resulted in the purification of their souls. This is a present reality in the lives of Christians. The powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, He enters our lives and begins a mighty work. Spiritual realities come alive overnight. And then a long process begins affections, loves, and desires that were once there that were sinful begin to drop off and fade away. A new day dawns in our lives. And we see the effect that it had on these Christian believers. He says here, having purified your souls for sincere love, uh, Your obedience to the truth resulted in a sincere brotherly love. Something happened in their lives and their relationship with other people. As a result of their obedience to the gospel, sincere brotherly love was birthed in their lives. They didn't particularly ask for this sincere brotherly love, it just began to appear. Well, this does seem rather natural, does it not? These other Christians had an experience like they had, the greatest event that a person can, can have. They had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ had repented of their sins and were following Him as Lord. This was the common experience of all these Christians. So they would naturally love people who had experienced what they experienced, who loved the one that they loved, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had become all members of the family of God. They were new people in Christ. So just getting to know these people would produce a camaraderie, a fellowship. But more than that, there was deep spiritual connection between these Christian believers. The same Holy Spirit of adoption had entered their lives, all of their lives, They all became members of the same family where Jesus is the head. So, there's this family connection and it puts a certain obligation upon Christians. He says in verse 22, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Here's the Apostle Peter. He gives a command. He's been commissioned by Jesus to write and give commands. And when an apostle gives a command, we need to listen, we need to obey, because the Spirit of God is using him to speak to the church. So the Lord Jesus, speaking through the apostle Peter, tells us, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, the New King James Version translates this as, In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently from a pure heart. Well, it's the same idea. Different synonyms. So we're to love one another earnestly, sincerely, fervently. Not just if we happen to feel like it that day. Not just if we're in the mood to demonstrate some kind of love. And not to love one another half-heartedly, but to love one another sincerely, earnestly, and fervently. Now, we may not be used to loving like that. It's a new dimension of love that God is calling us to. An unselfish love. I think we can look at the Apostle Paul as an example of a man who loved the brethren earnestly. I want to read you just a portion from First Thessalonians chapter 2 to get a taste of how this man expressed and exercised sincere and fervent love. I read in First Thessalonians 2, he writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So, because he loved them and cared for them, he put his own life on the line to declare the truth to them. Because them having the truth was more important than saving his own neck. And he says, For our appeal does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. So their primary motivation was not just to see these people saved, though that was a goal, but it was to please God. Because God had called them to preach the gospel. They obeyed God, first of all. They were happy that people believed. And then Paul says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor were there pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul. Sincere, earnest love for the church so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but our own selves because you had become very dear to us you see the love this man had they were sharing not only the gospel but his, his own life his own self and then he says here's proof for you remember brothers our labor and toil We worked night and day as a tent maker that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul didn't necessarily have to work that hard, but he did it voluntarily. So there'd be no reproach on the gospel. Nobody could say, hey, you're in this to make money. No, he supported himself. He says, you are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. You know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in the manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul and his companions were absolutely committed To the spiritual growth and maturity of these believers. Well, we're to love one another from a pure heart, and Paul certainly did this. He brought these people to faith in Christ and then he instructed them in the faith. He even worked with his own hands so he would not be a burden to them. He demonstrated sacrificial love. So how are we to love one another? We're to look out for the highest good in our brother or our sister, being truly concerned for their well-being. Not just with words, but in reality. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul wrote about this kind of love in another place. In Philippians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, this is a group of people who are concerned, looking out for one another. The church. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not... Count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So we're to follow the model of the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and took the form of a servant. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 9.35, He sat down and he called the twelve to him and he said, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So, we are being called to love our brothers and sisters from a pure heart because we want the best for them in Christ Jesus. We're not in this to get something out of people or to manipulate people, but to serve them and love them sincerely in Christ. Now, Paul, our brother Peter, gives us the reason why and how we're to love one another earnestly. It's because we've been born again by the Word of God. You see, the purifying power of the Word of God works mightily in our lives in many ways. And one thing it does, it creates within us and helps us develop sincere and earnest love for fellow believers. He says in verse 23, "...since you've been born again..." You have this earnest, pure love. Why? Because something's happened to you. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The indwelling Spirit of God works mightily in our lives. The Word of God is the cause of our new birth. And the new birth is the fountain. It's the reservoir from which springs our love for the brethren. Verse 23, he calls the word seed. Then he calls it the word. And he describes the word as some of the same adjectives he used in verse 4. Regarding our faith. He says the word of God is is not perishable, it's imperishable. Nothing can destroy it. He calls it living and abiding. It's alive and it stays with us. It's not just words on paper, it's not just scribblings of ink, but the Word of God is connected to the presence and power of the living God. As Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living. It's not dead. It's living. It's active. It's not inactive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit into the inner recesses of the human life, of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This indwelling Holy Spirit is what changes us and He begins to work in us from the inside out. So that our words and our actions begin to reflect more and more the work of God internally. Now Peter has got the Word of God in his mind and he recalls Isaiah chapter 40 verse 16. 8, which says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But, the word of the Lord remains forever. Peter is contrasting here the frailty, the transience, that is, the temporary nature of human life with the enduring reality and power of the word of God. Peter says all flesh and he has in mind primarily human life is like grass that grows out in the fields may have flowers in the spring but as the hot summer comes along the flowers wilt the grass begins to die here in Texas in late March and through the middle of April we have blue bonnets. they come out on the roadsides but they only last two or three weeks. Then they're gone for another year. It's like our human lives. For a little while we take up space on the earth, we breathe air, but then things begin to happen. The years begin to build up. Sickness may affect us, accidents may catch us, and we begin to fade and wither, and then we die. This is the weak nature of our humanity. We're just temporary residents on planet Earth. In the very beginning of this letter, Peter, in fact, calls Christians elect exiles. They're living in a country not their own. Planet Earth is not their own country. They have a better country in the future. So they're sojourners, they're pilgrims here on the way to the city of God. God's word remains forever. God's truth, God's will. God himself remains forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And Peter makes this comment at the end of verse 25. He says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord is is the gospel, the good news. It remains forever because it's centered upon the living Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead on the third day and sits at the right hand of God the Father. He arose on the third day, never to die again, as Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. It's the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our belief in Him, our faith in Him. Our belief in the truth of the Gospel that causes us to be born again. God causes us to be born again. And this new birth generates within us Sincere, brotherly love for one another. Yet we still live in this world. We still live in these bodies. And we're still subject to the spiritual warfare of the world. We're still subject to our own leftover, remaining sinful nature and the devil who's lurking around. So our brotherly love is sometimes lacking. Sometimes it needs a shot in the arm to be what it should be. We can all testify that our brotherly love is not perfect, that we sometimes fail to to love one another as Christ has commanded us. This is the reality of the Christian life. We've been born again. The Holy Spirit has entered our hearts, yet we still wrestle with our old sinful nature. It's hard to dislodge the thinking and behavior of the past that we lived in for many years. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called this phenomenon, I'm going to give you the Latin first of all, Samuel Justus et Peccator. Larry probably knows what that means. This is Latin. It means righteous and at the same time sinful. This is the state of the Christian life. Righteous in the eyes of God but yet sinful in our experience more often than we want. By God's grace and calling and his declaration, we're righteous in God's eyes and in his accounting book. But at the same time, we still commit sin. It's a strange phenomenon, but it's reality. When God saves us, though he's yanked us out of the kingdom of darkness, and places us in the kingdom of Christ, he does not yank all sin out of our lives. Overnight. It doesn't happen. He leaves us here on earth to be tempted and tried to wrestle with our sinful flesh, the allurements of the world, the temptations and harassments of the devil. It would have been a lot easier for us if he just yanked us out of the world and take us to heaven and have smooth sailing from then on. But he leaves us here to serve him, to grow in the knowledge of his word, to glorify him in the midst of these problems and harassments so that we can grow spiritually, so that we can bring him glory on the earth in the midst of all these enemies that are fighting against us. He leaves us here to fight the good fight of faith. He leaves us here to engage in spiritual combat with these enemies. But he doesn't leave us alone or without help. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his church, the people of God, to stand with us, to assist us in our pilgrim journey to the city of God. And he accompanies us every step of the way. Jesus said, I am with you always. By his holy spirit he's with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us says Hebrews 13:5. So, the New Testament, because of this reality of the Christian life, it's full of commands to us regarding forsaking sin. The next verse, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, "So, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This sentence begins with the word so. So has the same meaning as therefore. Because we've been born again by the the living word of God, because the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to us, because the very life of God has graciously entered our hearts, we've been given something. We've been given an innate, natural love for the people of God. Yet our love is imperfect, and it sometimes fails. So we need to be commanded. We need to be exhorted. We need need to be reminded of exactly, specifically, how we're to love one another. It's very helpful to have these commands. We need to be reminded of certain attitudes and mindsets and behaviors that we both need to forsake and others we need to take to ourselves. So, Peter says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, Peter would not have given this command if he had not been aware that these sins still existed in the church Mm -hmm. and even in his own life. He says, put these things away. Just like you take an old expired driver's license and you put it away in a drawer. Put it away. You don't use it again. Same idea in other places of taking off the old clothes of sin and putting on the clothes of Christ's righteousness. Now, It says, put away malice. What is malice? Well, it has to do with evil intent towards another person. All these five sins have to do with interpersonal relationships. Not relationships with God, but directly with relationships with one another. Evil intent toward another person. To do him harm. Something like the present leader of Russia is doing with Ukraine. He wants to hurt Ukraine. He wants to destroy it as a nation. But we should not have malice in our hearts or minds towards a brother or sister. Never try to hurt or harm or destroy them. But build them up. Not tear them down. Doesn't mean we don't, perhaps at times give them helpful criticism, even rebuke them in love with a goal not of tearing them down but to the helping them be aware of their sin and forsake it. And we should also avoid deceit in our relationships with our fellow Christians. So it's possible that you and I may, at times treat another brother or sister with one of these sins. You mean a a Christian would do this? Well, yes. We're not perfect. You mean a brother would treat another brother with one or more of these sins? You mean a, a Christian spouse would treat their spouse with one or more of these kinds of sins? Well, yes. These sins are lurking in the hidden places of our minds and hearts. And sometimes they rear their ugly heads. And they cause harm in our interpersonal relationships. So we don't want to be deceptive, to deceive one another. To deceive another person is not being honest. It's lying. It's tricking. We want to avoid that. And we don't want to be hypocrites. Pretend to be more spiritual than we really are, just like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, What everybody to think how generous they were, giving all their money to help the poor, and they're really holding some back. Holy Spirit didn't appreciate that. He struck them dead for their hypocrisy. Now, it's interesting, the three sins, uh, the, the last three, Hypocrisy, envy, and slander are all in the plural form in the original Greek language. So uh, it reads, put away hypocrisies, plural, and envies, plural, and slanders, plural. I wonder why Peter put these in the plural. I think it's because these sins can be numerous. They can be doubled or tripled in our lives. If we're a hypocrite in one situation, we're allowed to be a hypocrite in another situation. Put away envy. Envy is like the sin of covetousness. Desiring something that someone else has for our own selves, wishing we had it, perhaps, instead of them. It's grasping for something that God has not seen fit to give us. We should instead be content... And what God has provided for us. What is slander? Slander, of course, is to speak evil of someone else. To accuse them or charge them of some sin or sinful behavior which they're not really guilty of. In an attempt to make them look bad in the eyes of others. This is evil. This is wicked. We want to avoid this. So Peter is telling us here. To love one another earnestly, fervently, sincerely, and to leave off, to put away these interpersonal relationship sins. Now, there's one more thing he says here. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. One for pure spiritual milk, like an infant, longs for milk. When a baby, a newborn baby, gets hungry, they cry for food. They only have one thing in their in their mind and their being, and that's to have some milk. Give me some milk. They cry until they can have some milk. To take that milk, that nourishing food, is the only thing that concerns them. It satisfies them. Well, that should be our attitude also, especially as new believers, to feed upon the spiritual milk of the Word of God, to desire it, to crave it, to take its truths into our being, to drink long of that spiritual milk of the Word of God, which nourishes us and strengthens us and gives us life. Even as we become mature Christians, we never outgrow our need for spiritual milk, even as physically. We maybe used to drink a lot of milk when we were kids, but that' doesn't mean we never drink it as adults. It can still nourish us and sustain us. Lastly, he says in verse three, chapter two, "If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, yes." If we have tasted of the word of God, it whets our appetite. Mm -hmm. We want more. Because it brings us life and enlightenment and truth and health and wholeness and peace and joy. It's delicious to our souls, to our spiritual life. To taste this heavenly food increases our desire for more of it. We become addicted to it. That's a good addiction. To always feed upon the living word of God. To grow stronger in our knowledge of God. And of his salvation. So. The apostle Peter. Commissioned by the Lord Jesus. To teach the church. Gives us three instructions today. He tells us. To love one another earnestly sincerely to leave off to put away those interpersonal sins which can still raise their ugly heads from time to time let's cast them away and not tear down but build up our brothers and sisters and let us treasure the word of God Long for the pure spiritual milk of the Lord. Let us feed upon it. Grow strong. And if not neglect the word of God, let us put it into practice in our lives. Now Peter gives a good summary of what he's been saying at the, in uh, the next chapter, chapter, I mean, next book, 2 Peter 1.8 says this. If these qualities... Loving one another earnestly, putting away sin, and longing for spiritual milk. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Help us by your grace to love one another earnestly earnestly sincerely, even fervently, from a pure heart. Help us to leave off, to put away these interpersonal relationship sins and to long for pure spiritual milk so that we can grow in our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.